And so there's this idea of tiers, tier one, tier two, et cetera. When you think about, or can you help us to understand the concept of tier from a data center perspective? What does a tier one or two or whatever market mean in your mind? How would you explain it to somebody who's either new to the business or doesn't know our business? It's it's more about where the data centers historically were placed. Mm. The there are certain geographies that had a culmination of uh, you know available dark fiber and connectivity, cheaper land, um, cheaper power, and then amicable municipalities. Mm-hmm. And so tier one markets are what I would consider just where geos that were historically um, uh, lucky, if mm. you will, when the proliferation of data centers began. Um, you're looking at Silicon Valley, the Bay Area, Dallas metro area dfw virginia northern virginia of course mm-hmm. you know those are the three very large original this is where data centers are and this is where very 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 big data centers are um you know that was a decade ago mm-hmm. the the northwest started to come on very strong specifically hillsborough oregon and into like uh eastern washington Mm-hmm. mostly because of all the large companies that were in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Then the Southwest came on, Phoenix specifically, all the entire Phoenix metro area. That was due to um, a lot of innovative free air uh, technologies and ambient um, temperature um, anomalies that made building there very, very good. Mm-hmm. And then now you see the Southeast with specifically Atlanta blowing up Um you know, I think their square footage that's under lease is probably not as large as the others, but what's under construction immediately puts them into a tier one category. Mm-hmm. And then the burgeoning tier one markets are obviously like Northern Ohio, where mm-hmm. very little under lease, but massive amounts of land permitted data center construction beginning to occur. Um, and so then you have these very, very sparse spread out what I would consider just a one off campuses like Council Bluffs, Iowa, and, uh, you know, places like that. Yeah. Um, I can't help to ask about Iowa since my uh, my mom's family is from there originally. They ended up after the World War II uh, in California, but I thought Iowa merged with Nebraska. Is that not true? <laughs> Do they? They're probably still there. I don't know. I haven't been in a while. Our 12 um, Iowan listeners are going to be very disappointed. <laughs> well, what's hilarious, I think Iowa's getting the upper hand because when I flew to Omaha, you leave the airport and the first sign you see is welcome to Iowa. I thought, how funny is that, that you fly into one state, have to leave to go into the other state? What if Iowa just closed for a holiday that Nebraska didn't approve? You'd be stuck. Like, I think that's hysterical. Same exact thing with the Cincinnati airport. You, it's, it's Kentucky. Yeah, he is Kentucky. So that's that's pretty funny. You're exactly right. I never thought about that. Although it's a you know Cincinnati. Not to go on a tangent, but I I used to live in Louisville for a number of years, and I would go up to Cincinnati to watch the Houston Oilers play. We don't have time for that story, but I got my Houston Oilers <laughs> helmet right there. But one of the things that I liked um, about the city because when you go into the stadium, it's right there on the river, and you don't usually go very right far. There. But we would spend some time eating what they call chili. We're also not going to go sideways. Uh, it's delicious, but nobody else in the world would call that chili. You don't want to um, get into the Skyline chili soup? Please, let's not. I skied at Paoli, their little parking lot ski hill, and I ate Skyline um, 
chili. It was delicious, but uh, uh, anyway, I've already offended enough people. I don't need to go any further. <laughs> but the city, you know, in the proper with all the cliffs and whatever, if anybody's not been up there to uh, Cincinnati, they should check it out. It's a really cool town. Um, when we would think of, you know, when I think of tears, especially as an IT person in the 80s and 90s and later a data center person at the end of the 90s and, and since, I would always think, you know, obviously we think about it as telco. And usually what it meant was the amount of fiber available, like how connected. It's where the Internet grew up, as you were describing earlier by these geographic locations. Do you think then, is that an um, appropriate um like connecting point for the future? Like would our would a tier in from a data center perspective be by the amount of square footage or data center space available, or would it be by the number of eyeballs? H- how would you imagine? And you know, I don't know that there's a right or wrong, but just in, in the way that you would consider it and you imagine this growing, is there a correlation there? Or do you think we'll measure it completely differently? I think connectivity was something that um, those geos just happened to have just based on their correlation to other industries that kind of grew the da- into the data center space. To your point, telecom, silicon, the government in, right. in why Nova is so critical and has so much connectivity. I think that dark fiber companies and, and fiber companies that were very um, forward thinking have been doing a great job of extending those networks mm-hmm. um, and making many, many other geos just as connected as what we would traditionally call the the, the OG tier one markets. Right. I have yet to see any massive data center providers, purveyors or end users um, like acquiesce to less connectivity. Mm-hmm. If you, they've mm-hmm. acquiesced to less power, they've acquiesced to more expensive land, they've acquiesced to various different types of cooling techniques that may or may not be as beneficial for their application. But co- connectivity has always been one that's like, we need to have this in this way, or this won't work. Right. And so I think it's just a, a, a natural maturation from the entire industry, allowing other municipalities and geographies to catch up. Right. So if we build out, for example, Council Bluffs, and let's say at some point, you know, it has a it has a it has a threshold of some some millions or whatever the whatever the unit of measurement is of square footage. Would that, in your mind, creep into a tier one or 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 maybe near tier one, or is it really no? It's the size of physical population. It's the it's it's these other things connected to it. Because in early days, to your point about these geolocations. Um, the reason why it grew up in May East was because the federal government was there, is there, and is the largest consumer of these sources and digitizing, et cetera, and then May West because it's the heart of the technology community at the time. Um, and so obviously the greatest, the most dense infrastructure and network to support those. But in our world today, um, as it relates to data centers, not telecom, there is a constriction that we're feeling of how much space in a in a you know a metropolitan area either it can support or the community wants to allow and so i'm wondering if you know a birmingham alabama a nashville a whatever another community if they build up the same amount of data center infrastructure they may not have the same level of telecom but the same level of data center infrastructure 
as a Dallas, as a you know, whatever, a San Francisco, San Francisco's the greater Bay area is probably not building a lot more data center in that immediate for, for a variety of reasons. Um, could a Sacramento become a tier one? Cause it's two and a half miles up. They've got a lot of space. They don't have as much telecom, but they can build up a lot of infrastructure. Do you think we would start classifying things like that? Or would we just follow the traditional, even though it's data centers, the traditional fiber model that, Tier one is based upon density of connectivity, not amount of square footage or population size. It's probably going to be a little bit of both. It'll be okay. a little bit of um, just availability versus connectivity. I mean, look at New Albany, Ohio, for example. Um, Intel moves in and this says we're going to we've chosen New Albany for our semiconductor manufacturer thanks to the CHIP Act. Right. Um, they did that for a number of reasons. Um, there's a lot of labor resources there. The right. government was amicable and there was a bunch of available space and power was less expensive. Right. So the connectivity followed Intel. And then all of a sudden you see Microsoft bought hundreds of acres. AWS buys hundreds of acres. Meta buys hundreds of acres. Right. You know, and now the colos are following the hyperscales. Now Alliance bought land in Ohio, right? Right. Because of their issue with what happened. Perhaps QTS. Others. Perhaps, yes, others, <laughs> many, many others. Right. And so now you see that New Albany's not a one-off like Council Bluffs. Right. There's other things there that are making it attractive to them besides just available space and an amicable municipality. Yeah. And so to triangulate why New Albany is so great, it is a lot of things. Mostly it is an educated labor force and an educated um like developing metropolitan area that wants to have technology in its periphery, periphery, right, right. right? There, there was a want there to grow up and be right. something that it had not been before. Whereas in council bluffs, there's probably not that want, right. right? So it takes a lot of different things, both human and, you know, and, and intangible and tangible mm -hmm. um, requirements for us to see a new tier one begin to grow. Yeah. You know, that's such a great point. I, um, in, in, when, when my organization began growing from primarily co-location or solely co-location, enterprise co-location is still a really big part of our portfolio and, and is kind of in our DNA. We started off with, um, Brownfield. Like we would, we would go to find infrastructure that had been dormant chip you know prefab and other um our original big campus down in atlanta uh proper was the old sears warehouse distribution my kids don't even know that there's a company called sears much less that they had a catalog so it was this 200 year building with you know, a massive substation that could be expanded to hundreds of megawatts etc in a uh what they would call a 200-year building. So this big infrastructure, and we could go in there and, and grow that thing out. Now most of our um, deployment is greenfield, so brand new, break the ground, brand new from the ground up. Um, <clears throat> but my point, I guess, there is, as it relates to this idea that you were talking about, about a community that, that maybe is on a fast track to become a larger uh, tier, is because it was ready. It might not even known it was ready, but it was ready. Like it was, you know, uh, clean it up, put it in uh, operation. But I didn't have to bring in electrical distribution. I didn't have to bring in 
um, the ability for the logistics to get stuff to all these things because of its previous history had been in place, were in place. We just had to reawaken them or, or um, a- align them for a data center. We see a, a new Albany. That's a perfect example. I'm so glad you brought that up. We didn't even plan for that, so that's even better. But those developers were like, we're looking down and we see that access to infrastructure, um, building, you know, if you want to be part of the modern economy, you got you to gotta have a, um, you know, whether it's a data center or whatever, you got to have access to this connectivity piece. And so how do we make it attractive for people? You know, we build it, they'll come. And so they've done that groundwork. And so people like ourselves and our um, our frenemies come out there and we find fertile plowed land. Like we're, we're ready to go. We can get busy. <clears throat> um, but it, it takes a lot. Like if we want to go, when we go into a market like that, we have control whether we work with partners like you or other folks where we can bring a design that we have in mind and we can, um, we can, we have communities and um, local authorities that are ready to have a conversation that are already partially or, or pretty thoroughly educated on the types of things we should be talking about and negotiating and arranging. But there's so many things that come into a data center. Uh, you know, if I'm going to have backup generation, how am I going to, um, uh, how am I going to fuel that? If I'm going to use intermittent energy source, like all, all of these different things, all the ancillary and support infrastructure, people and infrastructure need to support that. If you imagine some of these emerging markets as um, operators, whether it's the hyperscales themselves or operators like us, come into them. How do you imagine that's going to constrain where there may be land? Um, there may be, even be a willingness, hopefully is a willingness to embrace business opportunities like us. There's a lot that goes into that. And that might be the constraint itself is just how do I build the infrastructure necessary so that these folks can come in at the speed and scale they want to? There has to be a proactive education process that goes into the original um, zoning for these facilities. Right. Right. So the constituency believes one way. And then you have a government entity that says, well, we need to grow. We need to increase taxpayer. We need to increase tax income. We need to grow the infrastructure. We want to become something that people want to be a part of. Right. Right. As a, as a, as a culture that has a, um, an identity, if you will. And we want high paying jobs, future jobs for our citizens. Columbus has long been like kind of the Midwestern tech hub because Mm -hmm. it was much smaller than Chicago. It's a college town. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of formally educated people there in a lot of different areas. And so you, you, there was large tech vertives there. Um, A lot of other companies um, have made Columbus home for a long time that put that sort of educated about technology mindset into the constituency. Right. So then whenever we start to try to get data centers zoned, People don't go, what's a data center? People will say, oh, that's great. Right. Let's do that. That's going to be good for <clears throat> us. Right. So it's an educated constituency. So what you see over in Virginia is, you know, Loudoun County was an educated constituency based on what they were dealing with with the government and their understanding of all of these that's things. So I think to move south and east and west, they're getting into counties where 
the constituents, the constituencies less educated on what a data center is. Mm -hmm. and it's creating a lot of friction for the industry and for the county and for growth. Right. Because of that, connectivity is no longer that important. Right. right? Yes, there is a massive connected fiber here. It's fantastic. If it worked out, it'd be great. Right. But I'm not going to put up with what I have to put up with and spend the amount of money lobbying to educate a constituency that doesn't want me here. Yeah. So you see people pulling out and just going straight to places where, you know, the doors open, it smells like apple pie inside, and there's a party already going on, and I'm invited, right? right. Yeah. So we find the path of least resistance um, to grow because what's not going to stop is the demand for the yeah. product and the demand for the facilities. And so there's always going to be another door open if one closes. Yeah, I agree completely. I'm, I am trying to, I loved everything you said there, but I'm a little confused. Did you say there's, it's a college town? Is there a community college in Columbus, Ohio? I'm trying to think of, or is that that group of kids who lost to the back-to-back -back national champion Georgia Bulldogs? I'm trying to remember, I can't remember. Let's move on before it gets contentious. Yeah, you are definitely just <laughs> picking fights. Like, I, I got some very good friends who call the Ohio State University their home. And, um, you know, every time I put the V in front of it, it really hurts a little bit because I'm from the southeast. I went to so, um, you know. Yeah. The Ohio State. I I love to tw tweak them. You know, they uh, it's a great school and they're pretty amazing. And uh, at the time we recorded this, we just uh, the Bulldogs just got through uh, Missouri, and that was not a uh, easy, easy battle. Yeah. yeah, the SEC man, it's pretty tough. But hey, you know this is it. We're at a curious time though. You're I completely agree that. You know, the more I've said this many times, but the more we use our technology the more we want and the more we want and the more we make and the more we make the more we use and so it's this you know i'm pretty optimistic and bullish on digital infrastructure in general and the human condition to uh um you know want to get access access to this tech and these things um in, in our lives and so you've got this great growth and demand curve but we had a phenomenon just recently within the last year or two as it relates to a lot of these big tech firms and that they they had to they had many of them had to sort of re-examine their model of how they were going to make money or at least how they were going to fund their business um and so they don't want to not grow they don't want to not expand um, and so one of the things they're doing, for example, is they're not doing all their building and infrastructure themselves. They're expand, you know, they have to use partners, um, to do that. But have you seen, I know this isn't exactly related to here too, but I'm curious, have you seen through your, um, experience in working with both operators like us and, uh, customers like these customers, these end users, a mind shift on how they're going to fund their business? Definitely. So, um, or fund their growth. I miss maybe not fund their business, but fund the growth of their infrastructure to, you know, to move into markets like this. So COVID artificially inflated everybody's stock prices in big tech, right? We were sure. all home. We we're all consuming <clears throat> massive amounts of technology from Netflix yeah. all the way down to AWS to zoom Microsoft a whole bit. Um, 2022, everybody went back to work and the tech stocks kind of lost their, uh, their mojo, their growth, their, their quarter over quarter numbers were poorer. And so therefore there was some sell-offs, right? Mm -hmm. So that sell-off drops the stock price because of that. There was an immediate and uh, short and medium term need to keep cash on the balance sheet, 
mm. to to show retained earnings and be able to continue to provide dividends, which would then eventually increase stock prices. So um, because of those types of shareholder um, shareholder constraints, if you will, mm-hmm. they decided to to shift from a capex strategy to an opex strategy. Mm. Um, similarly, there was a report that came out by a gentleman that said that the uh, hyperscalers are going to kill the colo, right? Because they're going to build their own. They can mm. build their own. Why would they use somebody else that they can? They they're the biggest companies in the world. Why would they not? Right. And it's interesting they wouldn't because it hurts share price because <sighs> they have to spend too much cash. Right. Right. And when you spend money in a certain period of time and you don't offset that cost with revenue in the same period of time, it, it has a negative effect on your quote unquote solvency profitability. This is very easy financial one right. one. So how do I shift from a CapEx spending money to an OpEx spending money where I'm actually spending money in the same period that mm-hmm. my uh, revenue is coming in? Well, they look to, to folks like you, operators, mm-hmm. REITs whose business model it is, is to fund things well in advance of revenue. Mm. So that works out pretty good for you guys, because if you don't have a lease, it's pretty difficult to get funding to go Mm -hmm. build something on a uh, prospective amount of potentiality. Right. So now you have these operate, these hyperscalers who have a massive amount of power tell you an operator, I want to pre-lease the building you haven't built yet. That's true. And then you say, well, that's fantastic, but what's gonna what's the lease gonna look like? What am I gonna have to spend? I'm gonna build it for you. I need to be able to amortize the cost of this across your lease period. Mm-hmm. And then you get into all of this back and forth on the front end before one brick is even built. Right? right? There's tractors out there, there's permitting being done to build right. core shell. There's an understanding of what power you can supply. Right. And there's an understanding of the, the the connectivity that is available. So we understand how the application could run in your space. But now we have to figure out how to build it and we need to figure out how to take the cost of building it and amortize it across the lease. So you can go get funding to do the thing that they need you to do because they want you to spend your money. Right. And then the day that you hand it over is the first time they ever spend the dollar. But they already have customers that are using the applications. So now we have money spent in the same period as revenue generated, you're happy, they're happy, you moved on to the next one, and they're happy because their shareholders see revenue in the same uh, period as cost. Um, So that's what's been happening this year, Mm -hmm. a lot, very, very much. And because of that, it's made it easier for you guys to go out and buy land, because you know the second you buy it and you say, I got this much power and this much connectivity, you're gonna get a pre-lease. Yeah. And And then it comes down to, how we're going to manage the cost of this build and how we're going to amortize that over the lease. You get money, you build, they, they're they happy. And yeah. so that's where we're at today. The other thing that you are seeing though is because this model has worked so well for them, now they're starting to buy their own land again. But instead of building it themselves, they're still coming to operators like you and saying, hey, I bought, I bought the land. You didn't even have to do that, but I still need you to build this for me. Yeah, that's exactly right. And one of the one of the things that we know, um, and I know you know this too, is that in the total investment from a operator perspective of getting a facility up and operational, the land is usually a fraction of all of the things that go in uh, from a price perspective. And um, 
And and because we're not organizations like ours aren't public anymore, we've we've deliberately and specifically gone private because it allows us to look at opportunities down the road where there might not be something for two or three years. To your point, when we we're talking about something other than a tier one market, is we're all trying to, and I'd love to pick your brain on this in a minute. Understand where I call it an arms race, wherever you want to call it. You know the impact of generational AI, or uh, yeah, um, generational AI specifically, or whatever the other um, uh, influences are on this rapid growth so quick that what we would call tier one markets aren't able to ingest either because of just infrastructure capability or whatever whatever the reasons are. And so it, we're, we're moving into these other markets pretty quickly, but it allows us to um, do a, a speculation with a small s. You know, if you can get land or you can get some things in place and have a conversation um, with the community about, hey, look, we may want to come here in two years, three years, five years, and get a dialogue going. You can get a really good temperature. You can understand from the local utility what's going on. And if we if we decide to grow that, I, in the big scheme of things, I have a very small investment and the, probably the single biggest investment. Once our tenants move into a facility, all that infrastructure they bring in, that number is significantly bigger than probably anything that we've spent to build and operate it. Um, so I think that's a great it's a great point. And if we you know if the if it's if we don't see the market going there, we know ultimately it will. But it's a small speculation. It's not a let's go build a hundred megawatt, two hundred megawatt, a thousand megawatt campus before anybody has agreed to anything. It is let's start putting these things in place. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, one of the other things that's interesting, I you were talking about this about community before. For sure, in our world, one of the things that is, um, for for a number of reasons, some in the news right now, but not just us, but our customers as well, have really gotten serious about, um, by serious, I guess I mean focused on the need for these for these beginning relational conversations when we want to go into a market that's not used to either doing business with digital infrastructure like us or not at the scale, not at the speed at which um, a lot of us are talking about. And to go in and to begin having preliminary conversations with the whole community so that should we arrive or, or want to grow um, one of these markets, we're met with um, everybody's eyes are wide open. Like we, we understand what we're getting into. Have you seen that? I, I don't just mean some of these hot spots, but really this level of operators needing to get sophisticated so that they're able to come into a community, have authentic conversation, transparent conversation, and we figure out how to build this environment together so that it it, it fits our, our, um, our business model and meets their community. Uh, grow, not just from a taxation, but just from a job and transportation and acts, um, you know, re resource management. Have you seen that more, or um, is that is that not really on your radar? No, I mean, I, I've seen us try as an industry, mm -hmm. um, but if you think about it, we're so young compared to like big oil or big <clears throat> electricity or the railroad system infrastructure right who for years and years decades and decades and decades have been having to 
navigate social waters around their facilities. Mm. Um, you don't just build a, a refinery. You don't just build, you don't just put a train track through somebody's land. Right. You don't telecom dealt with it. You don't just go put a, a cell tower on somebody's property. And so we have to mature quickly. If we're the, if we're the fastest growing industry that the, the world has seen in, in, in quite some time, probably mm -hmm. a century, mm -hmm. then we need to be the fastest learning industry as well. And we've got to get way better at public relations, getting out in front, lobbying people in the correct way, and changing the way that the industry views what it is that we do. Because right now they think that they're big concrete boxes that are going to create AI, sentient AI that will take over the world, right? <laughs> right. This is what my mom thinks. My wow. mom, you know, my mom's seventy years old. She's like right. hey, you're building things that are going to turn lead us to the Terminator. I'm like, well, mom, right. not quite that simple. But that is the um, boots on the ground constituency perspective, right? And we have to do a massively better job of, the, of that if we are going to want to continue to grow the way that we need to grow and in different areas than we've been before. Right. We, we've, we've had a number of conversations, sometimes even with our, not just our partners, but our competitors. We've gone in and we've had conversations in communities where um, it's almost like what nuclear is doing now, where we've got to have a conversation about, um, you know, to your point about big box, we have a number of big, I'm in the Atlanta area, we have a number of um, big buildings that have come in but they've also brought in a tremendous amount of traffic. There's trucks coming and going from there. There's and the infrastructure is trying to keep up, but it's but the people in the neighborhood are like, man, my it takes me five minutes to get through a light now, or ten minutes to get through a light when it didn't used to. And we have to. One of the things that we've taken on the role of is look. I know it looks similar to some other industries you may be familiar with, but here's the level of traffic actually. Here's the quality of jobs that come in. Here's the support systems that support a data center infrastructure like this and the other things. Here's the impact to the community from a, um, a consumable resource. Like, and so to, to have, a, um, um, to have a, a genuine, authentic, transparent conversation, to your point, we just have to get sophisticated about it and be purposeful. It's not going to accidentally happen. But when we do that, with the whole community, not just a few of them that are raising the alarm, and rightly so. I don't, I don't begrudge somebody saying, hey, look, hold on, we're concerned because we've heard these things. But when you can walk through um, and look at what, what are we actually bringing, not the mythology, but what are we actually bringing and how do we fit in and how can we do that, um, more often than not, we're successful in finding a way to engage together. But if we don't do it, it's it's spectacularly painful. And, and I think that you're correct. I think coming together is the answer, right? right? It's, it's a collective. There needs to be a consortium. There needs to be a commonality in the, the things that we say as an industry need to be congruent. We have to say the same things so that one company's not saying one thing and another one's not saying something else. And they're saying different things because they want the land, right? right. They're trying to, they're trying to say, well, our, our infrastructure is quieter than that infrastructure and things like that. That is right. not helpful. Right. That is, uh, that is cutting off our noses to spite our faces, right? And so yeah. that's what I mean by becoming more sophisticated. I mean, a long time ago, a long, long time, Standard Oil came together with all the other 
competitors and they formed a coalition to go about and try to make the industry look different in the eyes of the of the of the uh, the people. Right. And so we're at a crossroads here. You're seeing it every day. This was denied. This was denied. This was denied. Right. This was not. And it's all because of very odd things that you would think with further contemplation would have been been able to explain. But right. we're not getting that far because they're just saying no. Right. right? And then you look at the pressure on our municipalities anyway from, uh, you know, um, you know, how that all goes, our political system. And we're, right. we're, we're working against ourselves in some areas. So, yeah, um, it's not directly um, relatable, but I think it's 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 um, it parallel with Standard Oil. Um, once upon a time, some of those industries in their early days, we don't do this, but once upon a time, they did dump kerosene in the Ohio River. They did. You could catch the river on fire. There was um, sloppy practices how they did their business, but they pretty quickly came about. Not only did they um, clean themselves up, but they went. They had to go into your point. They had to go into the community. They had to learn how to do it. Regulation came along. They got their act together. And the benefit that uh, mass transportation brought to a burgeoning country like ours, which was not a major distribution or trade or manufacturing force at the time of the turn of the century when this was all happening, you know, changed our trajectory forever. But they had to, they not only had to uh, get their um, messaging tighter, they had to improve how they did business. And I think um, data centers, we, I don't think, um, there's a lot for us to clean up, but we have to certainly get better about how we come together and more sophisticated to your point. Um, I'm, I'm curious about, before I forget it, I was thinking about this earlier. One of the things that we talk, I know you know this and you're part of this conversation all the time. There's, we talk a lot about attracting people to our industry. Either they don't understand what it is <clears throat> or they think it's a big building. Like they don't, there's a, um, we have work to do there too about just to get labor force engaged. And it feels like that could be exasperated if we're going to, many times when we say tier two, those are also just smaller population markets. How, how do you, do you think that, is that a false narrative? In other words, if we're going to, uh, maybe not New Albany, I don't know that that's a great example, but if we want to go to some of these other markets, not just in our data center, but the support infrastructure, we need human beings to help us, um, you know, to come along and join us in the operation of that. Is that, um, do you think that's a real th concern or is it, um, am I, am I, you know, probably reacting a little too strongly to it? I think that where we're seeing the growth of tier twos, New Albany, Austin, Texas, where I'm at, uh, Reno, um, Nevada, those places, there are people there that already understand what these buildings are and right. they're wanting go there. Um, not unrelated to the labor crisis that we're experiencing, though. Um, I do think that's going to get better. I, I, it's unfortunate that the commercial industry is starting to uh, tail off a little bit with some mac macroeconomic headwinds, the, the, the overbuilt office spaces, the work from home uh, generation that that uh, some has gone back and some have not. All of those are kind of creating this uh, situation where we're seeing some more people start to come into the industry untrained, mm -hmm. right? Electricians, HVAC technicians, they need to be trained to, to work within the data center space. But again, those people are moving 
to places that they want to live anyway. And right. those just happen to be strong tier twos, right? right? The Nashville, Tennessee's, the Reno, Nevada's, the Columbus, Ohio's, the Austin, Texas's, those are places that people want to be. And so it's not surprising that if we're going to start moving away or if we're, if we're trying to find areas that are going to be the next tier ones, right. it would be smaller municipalities that have these similarities and these type of features that can attract young people, attract educated people, attract people who want to live there anyway, who just happen to want to work in the data center space because that's the largest industry in those new areas. Right. So it's definitely a correlation and then like a triangulation of a bunch of different factors that are, I bet we could probably guess a couple of other municipalities that are going to come up in the next decade because we know that there are young people that want to live there, right? right. Colorado Springs, Fort Collins, anything in and around that Denver metropolitan area, you're going to start seeing more stuff in Salt Lake City. It's already happening. It's an amazing place to live in Salt Lake City. And so those are places that have educated individuals that have data center minded people that live there already. I'm going to be very disappointed in you if it starts taking me longer than an hour to get from the airport to Park City because you just told people that they should move there to be part of this growing industry and they jam up my traffic, I am not going to be pleased. I'd say in the next five to seven years, Salt Lake City is going to be um, a place that's commonly discussed as it as it pertains to data center um, like activity. Yeah, well. I, I, bet, I bet somebody's corporate headquarters will be there soon. Thanks for messing it up for me. I appreciate it. Time. It's an amazing place. <laughs> it has a lot to offer. Yeah. Utah is so funny to me. I love the people. I'm a big m motocross and dirt bike fan. And during COVID and a couple other places, they were so great at hosting uh, a lot of the races and the championships. I mean, it's just so many things outdoor. But I've noticed this. When I fly into, whether it's Salt Lake City, well, so primarily Salt Lake City, but go, go through or to Utah in the wintertime, it looks like magic. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's really cool. Something happens. But when you get there, when the snow's gone, you're like, people still live here? Wasn't this <laughs> like a gas station on the way of the orchestra? Like, what are we doing here? I thought, you know, anyway, I don't want to pick on uh, Utah. I love the people. It's a great place. But have this question. So we're talking about tier, tier, tier. <clears throat> it seems like three years ago, we didn't talk about it in terms of tiers. We just called it the edge, like the edge, you know, the edge is, uh, the edge is going to be, you know, people would, you know, um, those of us being a smart aleck would say, you know, like Totesuk, Arkansas, or some crazy little town or whatever. But really what we meant was the next big, you know, the next logical, uh, uh, metropolitan area that doesn't have a big telecom presence or a big data center presence or whatever. So is this just edge by another name to say tier two or tier three or whatever, or is it, um, and has that, or has that term fallen away or is it, no, it's not that phenomenon at all. I think the edge was fun because um, there were at that time when we first started talking about it, there were applications that required almost zero latency, right? It had to be, you had to be almost holding the server to use the application. Right. right. So, so we call that the edge, right? But right. It, that was, it's all application based. And right. so the definition of the edge is completely different depending on what application that you're consuming. Right. The one thing about the edge though, is there's gotta be people there. Right. Wherever the edge is at, there has to be someone who needs something. Right. 
And so the whole cell tower edge situation for connect, we're gonna we're gonna get away from the dark fiber necessity or fiber necessity, and we're gonna utilize um, you know cell towers, and we're gonna convert <clears throat> you know um, airwaves into light signals there, and then we're gonna create this hub and spoke connectivity um, uh, infrastructure that allow people in far gone areas to consume certain things. I think what was missed is that those people don't want to consume the things that we were trying to give them. Right. And so instead of it being like this massive web of edge related activity, it did exactly what you said. It just moved to the next area of greatest necessity. Mm -hmm. And then it will move to the next area of greatest necessity. And then it will move to the next area of greatest necessity. Um, and so that is in fact the edge. Yeah. In my opinion, um, now there are still very, very, very strong needs for containerized solutions, small closet solutions, and all of those things are at the edge, but they're very application specific. And it is you've got to find that person that needs that thing. Whereas the other way I just define the edge is mm -hmm. more it's a, it's a more commonly um, defined situation that makes a little bit more uh, relative sense, if you yeah. will. Yeah. I, I'm, uh, I'm curious. One of the things, uh, I just came from an event the other day and, um, I love it. It was, it was very engineer heavy. And while I'm not an engineer, the, the nerd in me loves to hear the discussion that's being, um, that's being bannered about in particular, this idea of, um, while, uh, Technology growth is exponential because we're consuming this data, we're generating more data, et cetera. We, at the same time, have this parallel but almost diametrically opposed requirement to be more efficient. One, there's just only so many resources available. So we have to be much more efficient in the uh, generation of an electron related to how much data it can manipulate and at what efficiency, et cetera. <clears throat> And um, and the cost, like it's you know we want it we want simpler designs we want easier designs we want wildly efficient designs. When you think about moving into these other markets, do you think they'll be able to? Will there be as much emphasis on um, sustainability? And but I guess what I mean, of course there will. But what I mean is, um, will they have the sophistication? Will the designs have the sophistication to keep up with the? Um, the requirements that that you know all of us are trying to work towards to have an efficient design, or is it um, because we have you know in in some of these markets that are less constrained, we'll have more elbow room. Will we? Uh, will it? Will the emphasis not be there? My spidey sense tells me absolutely we will have to continue to do that, but I'm curious what you think about it. I think that uh, human nature is a funny thing. Um, you know, the laws of physics say that the more there is of something, the easier it is for you to uh, to use it. Like it's right. just it's quite simple. So if you have 27 marbles <clears throat> on the table and you swipe your hand across it, you're going to hit a larger percentage than you would if you had two marbles right. on the table. Yeah. So we move into areas that are, have not been saturated. There's going to be a lot more resources there. In the in human nature, would say the easiest path to resistance is just to to do it the easy way. Mm -hmm. Because sustainable design is not simple. Mm -hmm. Like you're almost always trying to figure out a new mousetrap to use less right. while getting right? right, which yeah. 
is difficult. It requires more thought. It requires more time. It requires more vendor engagement. And it requires a lot of different things. Whereas if you just go build the thing this way, because it's there, then you build it, right? You use water, you cool the water off using, you know, mini chillers. And then you use, you know, you know you're know, you doing water cooled data center because there's water there right. because it's simpler and it's easier, mm-hmm. right? Whereas constrained um, geographies don't have as much water. So you automatically can't do it, mm-hmm. right? So you're not going into that geography thinking, oh, I can use water cool or I can I can do this. You're not. And so if we as an industry don't basically say sustainability first, then we're not going to think about it that way. We're yeah. going to go resource first. Ease, e- what's easy first? Speed. We're going to put speed above resources. Mm. It's going to happen, Dave. It's mm. like it's going to happen because everything's moving so fast. They're leaving areas of constrained resources to areas of unconstrained resources for the resources. Right. But if we were thinking with sustainability in mind, we wouldn't be leaving to do that. We'd be leaving to go just because we needed some more space, but we're still thinking with sustainability in mind. And so you bring up a good point. Like you need to start, we need, we got to point fingers at ourselves and say, are we sustainable? Is that what's most important or is speed and uh, rapid deployment what's most important? It's um, I think it's a I, I think it's a three legged conversation. It's one. It's a conversation we have to have with our clients, um, it, with ourselves, our board, our, you know, the, the folks that are, um, uh, you know, our constituents with that, that fund our organizations. And the third is the community. You know, if you if I feel like if you go into a community and say, look, for example, in our data centers, um, we have. Because of constraints in some markets, we have designs that go up. You and you know this. Years ago, there's no way you built a multi-story data center. There's no way that you did put certain. That was a European thing. Right. European, Asia, Pacific. We're like, we're doing multi-story data centers, and we're all over here going, "What?" Yeah, you'd never get it approved, right? It would never happen because you couldn't have anything. uh, you know, it, it had to it had to go a certain way, and then the second part was you couldn't put anything on the roof. You couldn't have any uh, right. uh, cooling infrastructure. Nothing. It all had to be this way. And and now, um, for a variety of reasons, you you pointed this out earlier about the resiliency needed for an application. In many cases, does not have to live within that building. It doesn't even have to be in an availability zone. It could be the the resiliency be, could be coming from a metropolitan area you know, some significant distance away. It doesn't have to be within three or five milliseconds. And so I think that if, it, it, at least in my opinion, if you're leading with that conversation, it's not the only conversation, but if you're leading them with that conversation, when you're talking to your clients and you're talking to your, um, the community you want to come into and you've got the, you just address it in the beginning. Here's how we want to be sophisticated. This is how we want to be Good stewards of capital, good stewards of re- resources, good stewards of the community, good partners with our clients. I think if you tackle it and face it head on, in more often cases than not, um, we will be able to deploy designs because we have the designs that are much more efficient. Um, <clears throat> we'll be able to find ways at the scale and speed that we need to move into these things. We'll be able to do it, but. At least that's my hope. I'm an optimist. I hope that I, you know, that's that we say those right things um, in the industry, and it, at least in my organization, I hope that as we go in, we continue to learn the lessons. You're in Austin, as you just reminded me, and I have so many friends and f- family in the Texas, 
And all of them have always, I don't care where you are in the political spectrum, they love Austin because it's way too hippie to be uh, red and it's way too Texan to be blue. It's this kind of, you know, keep Austin weird. It's this cool mix. And as people are moving there from other parts of the country, they're like, look, remember why you moved here. Don't mess this place up too much. You know, bring all of you, be authentic. But if you're fleeing, Whatever it is that you're leaving, cost of living, um, you know, political decisions, whatever, bring all of you, but don't mess this place up. And I think for us, as we move from one type of quote unquote tier into another, we should remember what was, how were we successful? What were we not? And embrace, you know, as the seals say, embrace the suck, embrace the conversation with our, um, with our ourselves internally and our customers and with that community, we have a spectacularly better opportunity to get to deploy there and be real partners. And maybe if we get a track record of that, we can go back to some of the communities that we may be leaving and say, hey, look, appreciate your concern. I realize that was something that you believe. But here's it in actuality in other places. And we've got a track record now that demonstrates all the things you were worried about. You don't have to take our word for it. Here's our performance. Yep. No, I agree. It's like don't remember, don't forget why you left the other place to begin with, and do the same, make the same mistakes you made there. Yeah. So, no, I, that uh, that Austin thing really it hit home. I understand what you're saying there. Yeah, I lived in San Antonio for a few years, about five years, year, decade, a couple, few decades ago, and it was such a nice kind of quiet drive up through uh, New Braunfels and San Marcos, and then you'd kind of come into Austin proper, and now it's like you never leave. Like it's bedrooms all the way up that corridor. Well, it's- it's a, uh, yeah, it's a corridor now for sure. Yeah. So. I know we're coming up on time here in a few minutes. I'm curious, regulation incentives, do you think that is also, besides resources, is that shaping any of this growth, parts of the country that maybe um, are easier to do business or there's a clearer path, um, not just in availability of space, not just availability in, in infrastructure and community eagerness to uh, partner, but just regulation landscape, does that have any influence on this or is that not as big a deal, do you think? Well, um, the Biden administration just put down an executive order on understanding where AI deployments are going to go of a certain size. Oh, really? Uh, I didn't know that. And, yeah, and a certain, a certain inherent machine learning uh, capability. So it's based on how like the size of the, um, the grouping of the GPUs and and how fast they can learn, mm. right? And so now they have to report on them. These big tech companies, that's not that's not inherently infrastructure related, but that will affect infrastructure. So I can see, you know, if if and that's an executive order um, right. to report on them, and that's based on a fear that these things will get out of control. Right. It's not based on sustainability. It's not based on the constituency saying that we don't want these things here it's based on a um the power of generative ai and what and what it can be used for both good and bad and so if that begins to depending on what type of administration is in office uh in the coming years Mm -hmm. because certain certain um uh, certain types of administrations lean towards regulations where others don't i don't want to be overly political here right we could go down the path of greater regulation Mm-hmm. Um, which would make moving into a different municipality make you think about that first, right? Right, and if that regulation is based on sustainability, 
then we're going to think about sustainability first. But if it's based on compute power, then we're going to think about that first. Yeah. And so that has the power to gear our priorities and our focus, or we can self-regulate. We can create a consortium that is responsible and then we can show the municipalities that we're moving into that we have the ability to control ourselves, unlike big oil, unlike, you know, the the like big tech did, you know, during the last couple of years with uh, certain censorship things and different things that we now know to be true. But uh, we got to be better, right, than yeah. our predecessors. So, or For- we'll get told what to do and nobody likes to be told what to do. Yeah. Well. Before I release you, I'm, I want to ask you a question, but I'm going to give you some a parameter or a couple okay. parameters. <clears throat> Got it. If you're imagining, you're having, you're, I'm sure like us, you're in a lot of conversations about um, a lot of the things that we talked about today. But where else could we go? Like we, we, you know, to be to be the first or second into a market is a pretty good place. To be the seventh is much harder. There's so, you know, just like anything else, you've got a lot of things that are limited. I would love to know where you think, but here, because you've already mentioned a few of them. You don't get to say New Albany, Atlanta, Phoenix, um, Utah, or well, Salt Lake City anyway, Denver. Where do you think of these of 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 the of this narrowing thing? There will be um, either and and Northern Virginia in the context of this question, folks moving from a location to a location or just a location that doesn't exist now, five years from now, will absolutely be, whatever tier it will be, but absolutely will be a a growing emerging market for um, data centers of some size. What would you imagine? And, and you don't have to have five of them, but just a few. I was going to say, I think if widespread uh, nuclear power generation becomes something that we can rely on, then there will be no constraint to location. Oh. I think that, um, you know, application um, will become less reliant on what I would call physical connectivity. Right. And be a little bit more reliant on um, like different types of connectivity that will be better suited to growth. Yeah. Um, I think that power is the major constraint. That's why New Mexico doesn't have any data centers. There's right. not enough. There's not enough people there to have built infrastructure that can accommodate a data center. So therefore, we have to build all new infrastructure to support us to support that. So no one's going there now. Yeah. It doesn't mean they won't go there later. Same thing with with other areas of of lower population. Um, I think though that on site cogeneration, specifically nuclear, will open the door to putting data centers in areas where there aren't people. Um, which will make um, their deployment much simpler and easier about all the things that we talked about before. But if that doesn't happen, mm-hmm. it's going to just be what's the next smallest municipality that we can go to? What's the next smallest municipality that we can go to? Mm-hmm. What's the next? And we'll just keep checking them off off the list. Um, and so I think that you're going to see massive amounts of innovation around power yeah. in the next three years, 36 months. You know, they're already testing them out. They're already beta testing them everywhere. Um, the 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 uh, reputation of nuclear is already getting better and better. You know, you would have never let him in the door to date your daughter. Right now, it's hey, hey, don't you? You know, now nuclear is like the cool kid in school. Right. 
So, so the next thing he's going to become the mayor, then he'll become the governor, then he'll right. become the completely. And so, going to be a uh, his his PR firm is doing well. We got a long way to go. Right. On site nuclear cogeneration will change the way that we think about all the things that we talked about today. In my I, opinion, I I completely agree. It's my new f- topic that I'm really fascinated with. And I got to host on the podcast, Christine King earlier this year, who's the director of gain program at Idaho national labs Anna Erickson, who's uh, head of uh, nuclear energy research and proliferation for uh, Georgia tech, but affiliated with MIT and a number of organizations, um, Alan Howard. I mean, there are other folks that we've talked to and the, the opportunity we've got an aging, not just nuclear fleet, energy fleet, we have an exploding energy demand curve, and not just for our industry, just for energy sovereignty. We see what happens if you have to leave your, not just your country, but your continent to go get energy. It just exposes you to all sorts of things that you don't want to be exposed to. It's completely and unnecessary. It's completely it's unnecessary. unnecessary. One of the things they're showing is these new designs that, should there be a break, they run to cold, they run to safe, they don't run to adequate. It's it's fascinating conversation for another day. Well, Sam, what do we haven't talked about today uh, that we should have um, that we can't say we, for the next conversation? No, I think we did good. I think that there's uh, probably some uh, things left on the table for the next conversation, which I think is the is the point, right? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, I hope you get to enjoy uh, Austin in the winter. Is uh, much, well, you could be in Ohio, and as wonderful right. as it is in the winter time, it's not. Right. <laughs> Uh, thanks for coming on today. And hey, everybody, if you liked that conversation, uh, thumbs up. And if you loved it, subscribe. We'll see you next time on the QTS Experience. Take care.